Warning, this podcast contains spoilers, but you shouldn't care. Welcome to Hey James, Watch This, a celebration of mediocrity. In this, and indeed every episode, Russ and Fry will try to convince their friend James why he should watch an absolutely unnecessary film. Hey James, Watch This. Hi everybody, welcome to Hey James, Watch This. I am James. I'm Russ. And I'm Fry. Class Action Park. You know, I think we might have a, a new contender for least likable protagonist. <laughs> oh, Gene. What a rat bastard. <laughs> like, I just, I do like how there were people like at the end where they weren't trying to like, even the people who were quote unquote defending him weren't defending him. Like, those are the most sympathetic people they could find. And they were all like, yeah, I mean, he was pretty shady and I'm pretty sure he ran half the town, you know, yeah, through like, buying Everything was awful, but we had a fun time that summer. <laughs> like, I have a feeling the documentary makers were trying to find people to defend him. And even they were like, in a certain light, if you don't think about some of, some of the things he did, I guess he could be seen as a, someone who, you know, was a winner. <laughs> I am going to cover up so many deaths to which I'm clearly an accessory, and for my encore, yeah. I'm going to sharpen the knife slide. Yeah. I, I, I signed up for a summer job at a water park, and I got to witness a man's soul leave his body. Oops. Oh, more than one. I, see, this, that's Every the thing. Day. Is th- they talk about all the deaths that were reported. But I bet there was a lot more than that, just thinking about them rides. I would like to point out, I I think I'm the only one among us who did work at an amusement park. I might be wrong. I worked at an amusement park as well one summer. Well, maybe your experience is different. I can't say for sure. But at the amusement park I worked at, I covered up zero deaths. I was not involved in any murders. They didn't happen at that park. Not only did I cover up zero deaths... But I didn't even see anyone injured, and I worked at a water park, and no one, no one got hurt on the slides. I, it was actually a pretty fun job. The closest thing to injuries I ever heard of in in my summer at the at the amusement park were the roller coaster going too fast and some people briefly blacking out. Not great, but a far cry from gouged by teeth that were stuck in and left by other visitors. They blacked out, but they did not fall out of their seats. I would argue yes. that the roller coaster was constructed properly. Everyone was fine, if a little bit woozy. I, I think the key term here is working as designed. Because if you did not design a ride to kill, injure and kill someone, and it does that, then it's not working as designed. So this episode's about the suicide coaster. All right, boys, it's gone from idea to production. We're going to get this thing going next summer. Yeah, but if if they had said that, if Gene just came out and said, I built this park to be a death machine, like, at least that would be like, well, okay. But, like, he didn't. He just was incompetent and, you know, too full of himself to not realize it. Did y'all ever read the weird math behind the suicide coaster? How they were, like, trying to speed it up by hurrying up the unloading of corpses? (laughs) Theoretically. Theoretically. Can't say I have. Okay. Well, gentlemen, what do we have today? We were tasked with comedy thriller. Yeah, it's a weird that's a rough one. one. And uh, we're back to form. So documentaries <laughs> tend to be home runs. We're yes. we're back to the unnecessary territory that we usually occupy. Now, once again, for reasons that will soon become all too abundant, 
All of today's untitled.txt answers are movies set on or have sequences in trains. Choo-choo. All right, okay. The scores are Fry 70, James 69. Ooh, we're coming down to it. Nice. 84-year-old Agatha Christie attended this movie premiere in November 1974. The Orient Express. Murder on the Orient Express. That's the one. Yep. It was the only movie adaptation in her lifetime with which she was completely satisfied. However, she thought that Albert Finney, playing Poirot, needed a bigger mustache. (laughs) It's hard to get the mustache right. I often wonder if she thought of characters in her head as, like, political cartoons (laughs) from her book descriptions. Some posters for this movie showed Alfred Hitchcock inserting the letter L into the word strangers to make it stranglers. But it's a train movie. Wait a minute. (laughs) It's It's not not a train movie. Was that the only Hitchcock movie you could name? (laughs) Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, Fry, he did Psycho. Oh, yeah, I should see that. Yeah. Okay. That being said, I'm... Well, hold on a sec. I want... Is Russ pulling a trick on us here? 1951. So did Agatha Christie write Murder on the Oriented Express? Yes, or did she, did. she just do... Oh, yeah. I was... I always thought the story was older than that. Okay. Because I thought this was going to be a thing where Hitchcock had done a version of it. Now, and it was I, just going to be... I, I might not have been clear. Uh, the title of this movie includes the word strangers. Oh! Stranger birds. <laughs> strangers on a train that's the one. Oh wow that i should have just guessed that well i, I think that was a movie title yeah well i didn't remember it existed until russ said it was in the title i was like oh holy shit <laughs> the casting director drew the ire of steven seagal after the action star returned from a vacation in indonesia and discovered oh. that gary Busey had been hired to play the villain Busey famously played one of the villains in the first film, who was dispatched via explosion. I I know the movie you're talking about. I'm just trying to remember the title. Matters got worse when it was this. Was that? No, I said James is a step up on me. Matters got worse when it was discovered that Busey had a pay or play deal, which meant he got his fee whether he was in the movie or not. He was paid seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, but didn't work a day on the picture. Good. That's an ideal contract. I need to set up some of those A man contracts. like Gary Busey shouldn't have to associate with the likes of Steven Seagal. I think that's called a singularity. <laughs> <laughs> it's the sequel to the... Yeah, okay. But I don't remember the title of it because um, the only... Prepare yeah. to kick yourselves because that yeah. is Under Siege 2. Under Siege, ah. yeah. And it was the second, the second one was on a train. Yep. Wait, they were under is, siege on a train? Which is somehow dumber than being under siege on a big boat in the ocean. Sorry, ship. So here's the thing with For Steven all the Seagal's nautical movie. listeners of our podcast. <laughs> I my dad would be very angry with me if I didn't get that right. Actually, he's, he wouldn't. But do, does he'd he be listen? mildly annoyed. Make sure he listens to this episode so that I don't know. He knows I don't you got know if right. he listens, but but he would know the difference. Be good Steven to get our subscriber Se- numbers up. Unlike you, land lovers. <laughs> That Steven Seagal, The Under Siege, yes, it's a really dumb title and doesn't make any sense for trains or boats, but the only reason it exists is the way that Steven Seagal names all of his movies. It's yes. there a, a completion of Steven Seagal is. Yes. And if it makes a sentence, then... Oh, if, if he's not in okay. the title of the movie, he doesn't care about it. 
That's why you have movies okay. like The Perfect Weapon, which <laughs> that that's not a title. It's also like deeply, deeply untrue. Like he could be under siege, but he cannot be the perfect weapon. That's just not possible. I think unless the enemy is other. A I, I don't know. I think you can add Steven Seagal is to any movie title, and it's probably probably hilarious if nothing else. I, yeah, but they're <laughs> but they're more or less believable. The, the first thing that comes to mind to, for me is Steven Seagal is Titanic. Oh, for me, for well, that's pretty good. I was thinking something more like Steven Seagal is the Mean Girls. <laughs> Steven Seagal is Fast Seven. <laughs> he he is not allowed to. In fact, wasn't. I can't remember. He wasn't invited. Remember when the, all those 80s action stars got together and they did that big dumb movie that was just basically them jerking off on the screen for a few minutes? Oh, the Expendables. But Steven Se- What was that? The Expendables. Yeah, and Steven Seagal wasn't invited, as I recall. He's just, I mean, who would? Uh, no, I just I just think it was great. Well, that because he wasn't the invited. title doesn't work. Steven Seagal is The Expendables. Yeah. <laughs> he can't be several people. That doesn't make any less sense than the perfect weapon. I guess the movie could have been ca- uh, called Expendable, and just just leave it at that. Steven Seagal is Expendable. No, then... I, I'm I'm envisioning a, a situation where he plays every role. <laughs> That's a Christmas Carol. <laughs> Steven Seagal is a, is Christmas, a Christmas Carol. Carol. <laughs> that's that's you know what you God found one that's more preposterous. Man, oh no, wait, he, he doesn't he talk could... like that anymore. Now he talks no, like. He's... Uh, Oh, it, it, it wasn't nothing, brother. But you, but you got to pause to take a breath in the middle of that sentence. <laughs> I have you guys seen any of his more recent movies? Yes, I saw Sniper Special Ops. Oh my God! They're <laughs> he he makes no effort anymore. He sits, yeah, through the entirety of Sniper Special Ops. Amazing. Yeah. He could at least lay down on his. It, so in the very first scene, he's sniping. But mm-hmm. it's very clear that he's not on his belly like a sniper would be. He's like in a chair, lint over a thing. It's really funny. Oh, my God. Um, here's a fun, another fun fact about Under Siege 2. Uh, that was the first movie where Steven Seagal started wearing like a, a belly tucker. Mm-hmm. Oh. It, it, you can tell they have become less effective over the years. I just want to be clear. I don't dislike the guy because he gained weight. I dislike the guy because he's a bad actor and a bad person. Rampant sexual harassment. Yeah. Also, he's basically a rapist. Yeah. In Silver Linings Playbook, Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper walk by a theater poster for this film. Coincidentally, also starring Bradley Cooper. Was Bradley Cooper in the remake of Train to Busan? No, he wasn't. <laughs> no. Was, was he in the... the- Darjeeling Express? No. Or is that the Darjeeling Limited? I can't remember the name of it. The Darjeeling Limited. He was not, and that's not the answer. Darn. Oh, James in particular, you're going to kick Oh, it's Snowpiercer, isn't it? It You son of a bitch. No, Bradley Cooper's not in Snowpiercer. (laughs) Fucking hate that movie. Because, but he is in The Midnight Meat Train. Oh, Oh. holy shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That movie isn't really about trains. I said said set in trains. You're you're right. You're right. Okay. But I... No, yeah, you're right. God, that was good. Anyway. The word zombie is only mentioned once during this film. Train to Busan. That's the one. The train scenes in this movie were filmed inside a moving train traveling from Jodhpur to Jaisalmar and through the, the... the Darjeeling Limited. That's yeah. the one. Oh, damn it. Thanks, Fry. Glad I could help, I guess. I mean, I probably would have gotten that. Yes, yeah, nothing I could be 
Nothing could be fixed to the ceiling, and filming equipment couldn't be more than a meter out the windows. Wow. Wow. Because of the negative reaction from car enthusiasts regarding the use of CGI backgrounds and locations, Justin Lin insisted this movie had a limited use of it to focus more on practical effects. The stunt involving the flatbed truck slamming into the moving train was filmed practically without any miniatures or CGI. This collision very nearly derailed the train, which can be seen in the movie. Yeah, that's uh, Fast and the Furious. I'm going to need a number on that. Eight. <laughs> Sixteen. Just throwing out numbers here. I think 32. That was, was that Fast and the Furious 5? That was five. Uh, there we go. Fry, you deserve to get that one. You have, you have. I have sat through all more, of them. I have earned this. Far more "quote unquote" appreciation for that franchise than I do. I also learned that Fast Five was like the turning point in the series, where they went yeah, from car yeah. chases to like the weird stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's where the series gets good again. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is this the only film in the franchise where Tom Cruise doesn't fire a gun, it's the only one not to have any shootouts or gunfights. Mission Impossible, the first one that That's they the remade one. with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Mission Mission Impossible, face removal. <laughs> God, they pulled Actually, no, they went crazy with the mask in two or three, didn't they? God, those movies suck. God, I love those. The, the scenes where there's... The scenes where they really just know how crazy they've gotten with the face removal <laughs> and then do it anyway are just fantastic. I would also like to point out that John Voight is like 6'1 or 6'2. It doesn't matter how good your mask is. No one would mistake Tom Cruise for John Voight. Those masks make you a foot taller at least. (laughs) And I'm not shaming anyone for their height. I just, a mask is not everything. That's all I'm saying. It's the whole deal. I've been misreading it because all this time I thought that Mission Impossible was a Harry Potter prequel. And look, egg (laughs) on my face. God, that would make way more sense. The only part I remember about, I think it was two, is Tom Cruise is not an actor where you see him in a lot of like muscle shots anymore. But like, I mean, he's he's fit, you know, but like he had like the craziest triceps in that movie because he's walking around with a gun out like this. And I was (laughs) like, how? I was like, one, two, three, four. It was nuts. He had so many triceps. Director Bong Joon-ho often clashed with producer and rapist Harvey Harvey Weinstein, who frequently interfered. Among the many requests, Weinstein insisted on removing the sushi-slash-fish scene in favor of more action. Bong was adamant to keep it, so he told Weinstein that he wanted to keep it as a tribute to his late father, who was a fisherman. Upon hearing Snowpiercer, is it? That's the one! No, I I said that earlier. Did you not not hear it? What did you say? Did you say it? I said Snowpiercer while you were, like, after you said oh, the director's okay. name. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. The tape will decide, but I'm pretty sure he got that. Yeah, I yeah. probably don't have to listen to the tape. I already gave him the point. Um. <laughs> I just wanted to say, for the for the record, you know, again, that I fucking hate that movie and it sucks. My voice fills my ears. Sorry about that, Fry. We, we need to start doing, like, a hands-up kind of thing or something. I got it. I, call on me. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Well, anyway, upon hearing this story, Weinstein was touched and said that family was very important, so he granted Bong keep the shot. In an interview, Bong said, That was a fucking lie. My father wasn't a fisherman. (laughs) Good. All right, and lastly, the original camera negative still exists in excellent condition. The Library of Congress, who holds it, 
can still make new prints if they want to. And I knew this that would be too. Film? Surely this is true of all movies. Oh, n- not true when you when you consider that this one is now. Oh, the Great Train Robbery. Old. That's the one. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. That's the only reason it would be notable that that still existed. Fair. I had, yeah. I had fully two more clues on this one because I knew that would be too hard, but it wasn't. Um, the film was originally distributed with a note saying that the famous shot of a bandit firing his gun at the camera could be placed either at the beginning or the end of the film, but all known prints have it at the end. Huh. <laughs> I love the way they did movies back then. You could put these scenes wherever. <laughs> I think that would that would add a real that's a reason for people to go back to the theater is to see how they've decided to show the movie. I, I think the the AMC not, cut versus the the independent theater cut could be very interesting. I'm not watching the Great Train Robbery unless there is a live band doing the music. <laughs> I think they could chop up all the scenes in Avatar two and rearrange them and you get a different movie and it'd be fun to watch. I disagree. I think you would get a different movie and it would be exactly as stupid as Avatar 2. But it would look as good. Y- yeah. I mean, absolutely. Well, there's that Giancarlo Esposito movie on uh, Netflix, Kaleidoscope, where you can watch it in any order. Oh, I didn't see that. Well, gracious. How mm. the tables, how the turntables. James is be... better at trains than I am. Five to James and three to Fry, making it James 74 and Fry 73. Aha. Should be noted that Fry has the untitled.txt championship belt prominently displayed on the wall behind him. Uh, I can see it as motivated James to to really (laughs) dig down deep for these. No, I just know about old stuff. That's also fair. <laughs> I mean, you you saw the Great Train Robbery in theaters, is that right? Yeah, I mean, when it was out. Yeah, that's exactly right. I was I was a young lad at the time, yeah, only yeah. twenty two. <laughs> Are we doing James is Immortal again? Oh boy! Well, comedy thriller. Yeah, I'm so curious. Let's go back to the good old days of 2022. <laughs> because so long this ago. Is so long ago because this is brad pitt and this is bullet train (laughs) all right brad pitt haven't seen him in a movie in a while oh yeah yeah god brad pitt is great in this movie but if you if you told me he's playing mickey i would just immediately get up and go watch it now (laughs) no no he's he's not doing that (laughs) i did afterwards describe like the style of this movie as being like Guy Ritchie in Tokyo or the like Guy Ritchie in Japan, very similar kind of style to the movie field of the movie, but with like okay. a distinctly Japanese setting instead of the like London setting. It's usually for Guy Ritchie. Yeah, I figured the bullet train, you know, kind of. Yeah, no, it's it not. It's it's definitely the bullet train in Japan. If in case you weren't sure, it's, <laughs> that's the one they're talking about, not the yeah. Not all of the great bullet trains we have here in the U.S. with our <laughs> If we built it here, it would derail itself. But Fry, there's that one in Las Vegas that Elon Musk built. There is, there is. I have told you what the Hyperloop is. It is an underground tunnel where cars drive very, very slowly. But it's lit with RGB lighting, so... Ooh, I hope there's a train. bullet train, too, and it's set in Hyperloop. <laughs> <laughs> It's just them traversing that one mile of the strip. Anyway, none of this is about the movie. (laughs) It is the dumbest. Okay, yeah, go ahead. So the the movie, tell me if you've heard this one before. 
You've got a, a criminal who has accepted a job. It's supposed to be an easy job. And mm. he gets there and it turns out there were things about the job he didn't know that make it vastly more complicated. Right. Oh, oh, that that's so unusual. Yeah, no, These jobs that never are usually happens. These criminals usually have like very good contracts where they just get to a thing and a job and yeah. everything's exactly the way it was supposed to. Be. So so Brad Pitt plays a a fellow by the who goes by the code name Ladybug. Okay. <laughs> uh this is a this this name has meaning. We'll we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, I I mean I'm good with it. <laughs> he is is taking this job. He's filling in for another member of the same criminal organization. It's not really clear how how this sort of works, but apparently the guy who had taken this job called in sick with like a stomach thing. And <laughs> And Wonder so Ladybug got the gig. It was supposed to be this guy named Carver. And he's like, what, what is this school? You can't when just When did we find out that note? Ladybug poisoned him? No. Oh, no, that's nothing like that. Well, I guess I'm thinking too hard about this. Don't try and think out the plot because as expressed in this movie, there's a lot of things that are just happenstance. And mm, yes. it's all, it all comes full circle because, you know, thriller movies. But... Brad Pitt poisoned this guy because this you'll never figure any of that out. Yeah, there's there's okay. there's no way you'll get there with this movie. It's it's okay. way too convoluted and 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 fun. So Brad Pitt takes this job. He's supposed to mm-hmm. get on a train. He's supposed to take a suitcase. He's supposed to leave the train. The only difficult part about it is it's a big train and there's lots of suitcases. So he's like, ah, I gotta find the right one. This will be a pain. So he was was he. Was he already in Japan, or did they, or did he? They fly him in from the he, U.S. to snatch a briefcase. He appeared to already be in Japan, I believe. Okay, that makes more sense. He has been doing some soul searching. He talks a lot about his his time with his therapist, trying to, you know, you you get back you get back from the world what you put out in there, and he wants to put out good vibes and peaceful <laughs> solutions to problems. And his handler, who he's telling all this to does remind him that his therapist doesn't know what his job is and (laughs) that maybe some of this isn't applicable for his line of work but he insists and really throughout the movie like he's just trying to to do a simple job and get out of there he's like look we don't he'll he'll sit down and explain with his the people who are fighting him like look there doesn't have to be this wall between us we can (laughs) we can in this wall there's a window of opportunity or maybe it's a door i'm not sure but we can go through it and, and come together on the other side. Okay. And, and they're just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? And then they fight. <laughs> I guess Fry spoiled the point that there's a lot of other assassins on this train. Yes. They're oh, definitely no, not no, for any plot reasons. Actually, I hadn't come to that conclusion. But uh, so, Russ, you spoiled it. Oh, shit. Oh, the so, shame. I, it is never called a superpower in the movie. But I hmm. believe Ladybug has a superpower, which is that, like, <laughs> He is like this nexus of bad luck. Like, <laughs> but like in, in a way where it kind of works out for him, but not in the way he wanted it to. Uh, it just keeps happening over and over again. He's, he'll, he's fine. He'll get through a situation, but not by his own doing. And <laughs> Fry, you're describing destiny or fate as, as it's portrayed in the hero's journey. I'll give yes. you a clue as to one of the themes in this movie. <laughs> mm. It is very much, uh, very much a movie about luck and bad luck uh, coming to head on this train. Yes. 
So he finds the briefcase right away. Like, we're not going to do any kind of, like, amount of searching for that. And he's like, all right, cool. Found the briefcase. I'll get off the train. Everything will be easy. Uh, Meanwhile, the briefcase owners are two of my favorite pair of criminals I think I've ever seen in any movie. Lemon and Tangerine, also known as the (laughs) twins. They do not look anything alike, in case you were wondering. No, I figured. What are you talking about, Fry? I mean, I mean, they look exactly the same. They look exactly the same. Well, and they've been apparently playing this con on the whole criminal world by not actually letting anyone see both of them together. And the main guy, or the uh, tangerine just plays both parts, depending on what needs to happen. <laughs> so that's, like, everyone else thinks they're, like, identical twins. And that is not even close to the case. That's a weird con. It's a, it, But it's working for them. <laughs> Every single assassin in this movie is the best assassin name you've ever heard. Yeah, let me talk about some of the assassin names for a second. So also does the every... briefcase just like emit a signal that only assassins can hear? Is that what's yes. going on? Pretend yeah. that's what's like, going like on. Like a dog whistle for, for people That who is kill the best people? explanation that they, they just know it's there and no other people care about it. Fry compared okay. it to, to a Guy Ritchie movie, it's the MacGuffin. It just keeps the yeah. plot moving. Right, and so right, it's right, like right. He, he, the, one of them will hide it, and then the rest of them won't know where it is, and then another one will find it, and then the, the, the first right. one comes back and it's not there anymore. You know how it goes. Right. What's in the ice skate case? Ice skates. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. It does not matter. So here are some of the other assassins on the train right now. We have the prince, who <laughs> is disguised as a schoolgirl during this. <laughs> we because, bar- because Japan, of course he is. Well, it, it's it, the name is is a head fake. She's a she. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. But it, it, it's another head fake like the twins. I thought uh, we were going to get some cool like cross dressing. All right, anyway, it's no, fine. no, nothing like that. Tangerine and lemon, who I've already mentioned. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, whenever we get the first introduction to one of these, we get a great like hero shot with their name in Japanese nice, and English nice. across the screen. Very stylish. And then they use that as a joke at the end, too, which is, is just just <laughs> chef's kiss. Yes. Uh, we have the father, who is uh, a member of the Yakuza. We, uh-huh. we have the elder, who is the father's father. <laughs> we have the wolf. Mm-hmm. We have the hornet. <laughs> uh, we have the son, who is not the son of the father. Those are different people. Also, the son isn't technically an assassin. Yeah, this is, well, yes, he's arguably a, a member of a criminal character. organization, but only just barely and ah. only briefly in this film. Uh, so the son, also known as the disappointment. <laughs> the, the son is the son of the big bad final assassin, the White Death. You can just say the boss. Like it's, He's it the final like boss of this movie. Yeah, he's the yeah final that's boss. fine. The, yeah. the White Death is a, a Russian the boss who took over uh, this Yakuza gang. <laughs> and he did so by, like, beating up every, like, rising through the ranks, like, earning the trust, and then betraying everyone and bringing in his own army and taking over the place. <laughs> and during that whole scene, like, that whole, those couple of flashbacks, we don't see his face. We, we just see him, like, from behind, and then he puts on this devil mask. And that, to me, made the the reveal when we do finally see his face all the all the more wonderful, because the White Death is played by Michael nope. Shannon. Oh damn it! 
And that, look, I, I think this one was, was worth spoiling. It was a great, it's a great moment. You ruined it. He's Michael Shannon with this like massive, long, like Russian guy hair talking in this Russian accent. Michael Shannon. It, it's perfect casting. That does sound like a fun twist. Yeah. So we've got all of these people on the train and we just keep finding ways for them to, to fuck with each other. Yeah. The best example of Ladybug's luck power saving him, but also greatly inconveniencing him. He's <laughs> he's got the suitcase. It's it's the first act. He's got the suitcase. He's at the train stop. He's ready to get off the train and just be done with this whole job. And wouldn't you know it, the door he's choosing to exit from, on the other side of that door when it opens is the wolf <laughs> who sees him and immediately attacks him. And nice. immediately attacks him by just pulling out a, a, a knife and, like, stabbing towards his heart. <laughs> and then at that point, the movie cuts and follows another plot line for, like, 15 minutes. Which... I'm really I'm really glad you told me that because when you say assassin in a movie, there are a couple different varieties. And this is the variety that is just like, oh, I don't care if people know who I am. Die, random person. <laughs> This is no, this, this he, is an anime movie that just happens yeah. to have people in it. This yeah. is the run into the room screaming about assassination. Yeah. Cool. Oh, and they're all dressed like JoJo characters. Yes, they oh, absolutely okay. are. Wait, now that that's not physically possible, but no, I bet they're the wolf has on like this white cowboy outfit with silver studded <laughs> boots and and a, a big belt buckle that says Mexico. Mexico. Just so in case you weren't sure where he was from, he's from Mexico. And the twins are both dressed in the same over overly showy suit. And yeah. so who directed this? It's directed by David Leitch. David Leitch, thank you. David Leitch, okay. Leitch, Leitch, probably Leitch. Whichever one it is, edit in the sound of me saying it correctly. <laughs> that is not how post works. Okay, please continue. It uh, totally is. <laughs> So, and I, I, I love the way this story is told, too, because we, we get this, you know, this scene where the, the wolf just jumps Brad Pitt with a knife, stab, we see him stab him, and then we, we just cut to another plot line for 15 or 20 minutes, and then we get back to that, and it replays what just happened in case you'd forgotten, uh, and <laughs> continues from there, and we see that when he stabbed him, he stabbed through Brad Pitt's cell phone, which mm-hmm. was conveniently in his, his shirt pocket saving brad pitt from the knife wound and then in the course of the fight the wolf throws that same knife at brad pitt who Mm -hmm. blocks it with the suitcase causing it to perfectly rebound and hit the wolf in the heart killing him instantly wait is it a suitcase or a briefcase briefcase brief briefcase oh okay that's actually a point in this movie i should have gotten that right yeah, a briefcase is, makes more sense for this kind of movie, even though almost no one uses them anymore. Yeah, it is a, a metal briefcase. Yes, because of course it is. Because of course it is. <laughs> oh, and you mean like those, those ones they have at Academy? Yep, like the ones you can get at Academy. <laughs> you mean the ones like the autistic kids carry around the college campus? Them's the ones! <laughs> God, rough. So he we... always goes just a little bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> that's not too far. That's an observation. That is not what I was thinking. <laughs> what you were? Uh, well, we were having a conversation earlier. I just thought of one. Oh God! <laughs> Damn it! Okay, let's not. No, let's. Nope, not going there. So, Fry, <laughs> what, what were you saying, buddy? After Ladybug dispatches the wolf in 
in his usual manner. Uh, yes. The the other like not really played up running gag through this is that every encounter his cell phone gets destroyed and he has to steal the cell phone of the previous of the attacker he just defeated <laughs> to call back to his handler. Have you have you ever thought about they they play real fast and loose and not just this movie but like every movie with cell phones? But have you ever thought about that for a second? Like first of all, do these people not lock their phones? Like. How much time are you going to spend trying to figure out how to fucking get in? Well, th- th- they make a joke about that because there's one instance where, <laughs> where Brad Pitt takes the phone and the other guy's unconscious on the ground and he holds up his head so that he can do the face on lock with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it also, it would have worked out fine for Brad Pitt's character, but at the wrong time. He can, <laughs> if necessary, accidentally open a, open a, a locked safe or a locked suitcase, briefcase, but... Not at the time he wants to. <laughs> and it's, that's also just played to, to glorious effect. He is, has constant, like, any, any scene is going to turn when some bad luck thing happens to Ladybug. And <laughs> everyone ha- it's almost like an improv. Like, it, you can almost see this as like an improv, like a series of improv skits where they get out there and they're doing their thing. And then a, someone from the audience yells out what bad luck thing happens to Brad Pitt now. <laughs> and they just have to go with it. Hmm. So we've got we've we've got Brad Pitt who knows nothing. Like he's he knows nothing about this job other than he was here to get a suitcase with a train sticker on the handle, and that's all he needs to worry about. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, there are like six other assassins on this. There's a couple of different kidnapping plots going on on this oh train. My. This is a busy and, train. And by the end of it, for the final arc of the movie. Uh, which takes place in, I guess, the long stretch before they reach Kyoto on the train. The White Death has bought all of the seats on the train except for those of the assassins on there, so there won't be any collateral damage when he kills the, everyone on the train. And so there's like there there's no bystanders by the last by the last act of the movie. We've got so many just fun things here. We've got a. An anime mascot who, who's just wandering. Like, there's a whole tr- uh, there's a whole car on the train that is themed around this this fictitious anime. Then, and there's a mascot walking up and down the row and like trying to say hi and wave to all the assassins coming by. And are we talking st- mascot like Zentai suit or like Hello Kitty? Hello Kitty. Uh, yeah, like Hello Kitty. Yeah. Okay. Like a big fluffy. Okay. That's big hilarious. fluffy mascot. Is, is the Which mascot is- an assassin? Of course the mascot yes, is an assassin. I'm glad you've been paying attention. I think I can tell what kind of movie this is. Yeah, you know, I think you've probably got a pretty good idea. Yeah, uh, I'm starting I will to get say, into the right headspace. We had some debate about this as we were watching this movie. Bullet trains, as I understand it, go very, very fast in places. <laughs> they um, are called bullet trains. If you talk I'd, about if you talk about can someone hold on to a bullet train, I'm going to psychically throw things at you. <laughs> <laughs> Of yeah, course I, they I, I can. Would, yeah, that sort of stupid nitpicking is usually left to me, and even I'm not going to ask it this yeah, time. No, it's it's just it's it all adds to the the this whole movie is just like a ridiculous. He holds on to it. Yeah, they just it's it's just so much fun in its ridiculousness. It is not trying yes. to be serious. A mm. man climbs into the bullet train while it's moving. Yeah. That okay, happens in this movie. I haven't asked this in a while, but I am curious. How long is this one? Two hours. This movie is just okay. a shade over two hours. Okay. Okay. I will tell you though, I'm the worst at getting really distracted during movies. There's no there is not one draggy second of this thing. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Freya, do you have any last words about this movie before we move on to Russ? I love how every scene in this movie resolves. Like, this, there's always <laughs> something ridiculous that happens. The schemes they have are just insane. One of the assassins, her gimmick is that she kills with this poison that mimics the, the bite of this particular snake. <laughs> and so also, she has stolen one of that particular snake to bring on the train that immediately gets loose. You know, not immediately, but quite quickly in the movie gets loose and just snake like randomly train? menaces people throughout the movie. Did she, was she, did she need a refill? Why did she have the snake? She, I, unclear. <laughs> she seems to like them, I think. Oh, okay. Oh, it's part of her, her persona. It's part, of, it's part of her whole bit. She needed the snake so it could bite people for the plot. Right. I will say, yeah, though, no I, no, I think this is worth pointing out. She kills people with, a, with poisons that always mimic this snake poison. Uh, she kill, does it in a few different ways. It's not always, Sometimes it's a syringe. Sometimes she puts it in the wine. But Even though way, poison that's ingested, does, that is not how that It's a magic poison. poison. Just go with it. Okay, it's, cool, cool, cool. It, it, exactly. Thank you, Russ. Yeah. But she's called the Hornet. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone famous famously poisoning the well all the time. I guess. I, yeah, I, I would love for that to be. I know it's not, but I would love for that to have been a mistranslation. That would have been the funniest shit ever. That would have been good. <laughs> okay, cool. Russ, would you philosophize <laughs> I us? Yes. <laughs> For what deeper meaning there is in this topic? Russ, make it deep now. Uh, Do the everyone, thing. Everyone has their if I hadn't done this, then this wouldn't have happened thing. So, what is the definition of luck? This movie throws it around a whole lot. Presumably, you're lucky if something works out in your favor. But where do you draw the line with that, or do you? Are you lucky because of where you were born, or would you be happier somewhere else with different concerns? Unless karma is real and your birth is some quirk of reincarnation, would you be happy if you won the lottery? That's probably lucky, but what if you misinvest, your family takes advantage of you, five years you're bankrupt? Okay, so if that's unlucky, then was the original win lucky or unlucky? You get hit by a stray bullet. That's probably unlucky, but then you go to the hospital to get it removed and they find a stage one lung cancer that they can easily remove before it gets worse. So is the original bullet hit unlucky or how far does this go? Do you have to take every interweaving of your entire life to make any determination like that? Well, probably. I do like the idea that like at the end of your life, there's a score that just determines if you were lucky or unlucky. Like it all gets tallied up together like, oh, on the old, you were you were a little unlucky. Sorry about that. I'm looking forward to seeing my push-ups done count. <laughs> I think I would like five. I would like to see a graph of it over my life, <laughs> and you can see exactly when my PE classes were. <laughs> Cormac McCarthy said in No Country for Old Men, you never know what worse luck your bad luck has saved you from. Uh, the Dalai Lama says, remember that sometimes not getting what you want is a stroke of luck. And Ann Taylor says, people always call it luck when you've acted more sensibly than they have. Um, but I don't think you... that applies in this movie. <laughs> no no but, one has acted sensibly no, there's in the no entire two hours of this movie. No. <laughs> oh, good. I was worried for a second. There is a pretty cool article in Scientific American that I'll have to link uh, called The Role of Luck in Life Success is Far Greater Than We Realized by a fellow named Scott Barry Kaufman. 
And he cites a study. Uh, he writes, we tend to give out resources to those who have a past history of success and tend to ignore those who have been unsuccessful, assuming that the most successful are also the most competent. Uh, here are some recent findings that attribute luck to a hell of a lot of things. About half of the differences in income across people worldwide is explained by their country of residence and by the income distribution within that country. So that's a quirk of birth. The chance of becoming a CEO is correlated to your uh, month of birth. The number of CEOs born in the summer is smaller than the number of CEOs born in other months. Those who have last names earlier in the alphabet are more likely to receive tenure at top departments. Uh, people with easy-to-pronounce names are judged more positively than those with difficult-to-pronounce names. And females who have masculine-sounding names are more successful in the law profession. So... In an attempt to shed light on this, a couple of Italian physicists teamed up with an Italian economist, and they made the first ever attempt to quantify the role of luck and talent in careers. That is Alessandro Plucchino, Andrea Raspisarda, and Alessio Biondo. And they put together a very simple simulation with a coding experiment. They took a large number of hypothetical individuals or agents with different degrees of talent, and they set them loose in a little square world and let their lives unfold over the course of their entire work life. And they define talent as whatever set of personal characteristics allow a person to exploit lucky opportunities. Uh, talent includes things like intelligence, skill, motivation, emotional intelligence, like that. And the key is that more talented people are going to be more likely to get the most bang for your buck out of any given opportunity. So they took all of these agents and gave them the same level of that. So everyone has the same potential for success when this simulation starts. And in, during simulated time, every so often, they would expose the individuals to a certain number of lucky events and a certain amount of unlucky events. And your chance of interacting with one of these events was random. And whenever a person encountered an unlucky event, their success metrics, all their stats, would be reduced by half. And when someone got a lucky event, their stats would double. Okay, what did they find? Well, they found that as this simulation goes on, a small number of people will end up achieving this, most of the success of a population, approximately 20%. The 20 most successful individuals held 44% of the total amount of success, while almost half the population had less than 10 units of success, which was the starting condition. They also ended with just 8 people owning the same wealth as the poorest half of the world. Oh dear. So, so what you're this, saying is luck is a huge factor. This is starting to get real, isn't it? It sounds, so, sounds very familiar to... Yeah. What's that thing? What's that thing? Everyone, reality. Oh, reality. <laughs> so then they took it one step further. They explored the effectiveness of funding strategies. And funding in this case could offset the penalties from an unlucky event. So something unlucky happens to you, you get some funding, you get some of your stats back. But they could determine how they distributed this. It's like, do you give it to the most successful people? Do you give it to the least successful people? What do you do with it? They found that the least effective funding strategies were those that gave a certain percentage of the funding to the most successful people. <laughs> the best funding strategy... Does anyone just want to take a guess? I mean, I yeah, I assume you give it to the people who are least successful. No! Oh. 
you give the same amount to everyone. Oh, interesting. Well, that'll never work. That's that's ridiculous. That's an insane idea. Distributing funds at a rate of one unit every five years resulted in 60% of the most talented individuals having a greater than average level of success. Oh my god, wait, hold on. Someone's storming into my room. No, don't take the microwave. I'm a true American, and I heard what you said, you damn communist. Get out! Get out! I won't leave. No, get... Okay, he's gone. I love when James does characters. He told me you were a damn communist. Yeah. There's really no other way to go about it. Sorry, I live in Texas. I had to do. I had to acknowledge that in some way. I'm just excited that this this is now a basic income advocacy podcast. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) distributing funds at the rate of five units every five years resulted in a 100 percent of the most talented individuals having an impact. Oh, Oh, I see. So it was per talent level. Oh, that makes sense. Well, no, they're they're distributing it to everybody, and I guess the the goal is. A good system brings those with the most talent. You're to maximizing having the most. Yeah, that's uh, what I said. Resources. Yeah. Well, that's what I muttered. Don't don't misinterpret my mutterings. I'm just clarifying for the audience who. I mean, I guess at this point probably is pretty used to your mutterings. But, you know, it's we might like, we like, might get new listeners who can't. Have you listened to that games. podcast with 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 Fry and Russ and that weird guy that mutters a lot? <laughs> Well, the, the good news is my last sentence on my notepad here is this shows that if a funding agency or government has funds or money to distribute, they'd be wise to give it to everyone rather than just a select few. Yeah, that makes So sense. is it luck? Is it talent? Is it knowledge? Yes. It's all yeah. of those things. And one of the big messages that Fry said earlier in Bullet Train is that luck is all in how you see it. And I agree with that to a degree, but I do want some of that nice universal basic income. Well, and I would also add, if you add a second generation onto that, your luck can go way down and you can still be the most, quote unquote, successful because you started from the very, very top. So there is that, too. There is that. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to watch this one. It sounds pretty good. Uh, It sounds fun and silly. And, you know, I haven't seen uh, The Pit in a movie for a while. Old Bitty Pity. That's what we used to call him. Uh (laughs) Since you don't need any more convincing, I'm not going to spoil anything more. Yeah, stop spoiling things. I want to watch this. There are two fantastic uncredited cameos in this that I I think you will find very amusing. If I notice them. Okay. You'll you'll notice them. They're they're noticeable. All right, guys. What are you watching? I finally saw The Glass Onion. It's good, right? It's really good. I really enjoyed it. I yeah. I guess I had heard that it wasn't as good as the original Knives Out, and so it's I, not I didn't, like put it high on my watch list. But like, yeah, it's really good. I mean, well, saying yeah, something sure. isn't as good as Knives Out is, I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's kind of like you know that that's the worst thing about sequels is if they don't live up to the original, they're not considered a good movie somehow. It's still a great movie. It's absolutely worth watching. It was far more worth your time than Avatar, all three plus hours of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, come on. See, it's been a week, and now I can talk to you like a like a like we can have a real like dude to dude conversation about Avatar, uh, the water one this time. I mean, I still uh, I still enjoyed it. I, I I haven't changed my opinion of it. I'm not saying you didn't enjoy it because you like pretty much every movie you see, unless it makes you physically uncomfortable with grossness. Well, there's a handful of movies that I didn't like, despite not doing that. Hellboy, I'm looking at you, the new one. You, but Man, you also suffer from the nerd rage. 
we had to scream at you so that you would go fucking watch Arcane because it's so. Or is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, it's so fucking good, but you hated the video game and you weren't going to watch it. So you also suffer from the the nerd rage sometimes. I mean, we Hellboy, all. Hellboy. I, I want to be very clear, though. No, it was a bad movie, but Hellboy I'm just was saying, just don't, a bad movie. It wasn't like, oh, it what did they do with my beloved rage. character from the comics? I don't give a shit about. Although that. I do think <laughs> David Harbor did a good job. It was just the writing in the movie was bad. Anyone who showed up to work on that movie did a bad job by virtue No, of I disagree. <laughs> I, I, th- I thought the makeup was good. Looking at the special you, effects catering. were good. It was the story that was bad. It didn't go anywhere. And the dialogue was bad. But, you know, I thought I mean, David like Harbour did dialogue, a good job. The dialogue, the pacing, the, the yeah. story. The writing the, was bad, yes. The Everything that happened on screen was pretty bad. <laughs> he gets snuck up on by giants, James. I know. Never forgiven that that movie for that. You don't get snuck up on by giants. And that was in the script. And I said the writing was bad. But that doesn't mean David Harbour did a bad job. You know what I mean? Uh, Look, I understand. You got to (laughs) eat. Yeah. Well, no, I I don't think he took that movie thinking it'd be bad. Anyway, all right, we can't spend the entire rest of the. Okay. (laughs) I could could spend days talking about Hellboy. Russ is just cackling in the back. Yeah, Hellboy Hellboy is, is, is. is my Snowpiercer is your Hellboy? And and to be clear, I love David Harbor. I think he's been great in other things. I I agree with you that he is not the problem with Hellboy. The mo- a movie. Well, that's that what I was talking about. Nerd about. rage, right? Because there's a tons of nerds on the internet saying David Harbor ruined Hellboy. I'm like, no, 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 no. Whoever wrote this thing ruined. No, Hellboy ruining this was a team effort. It, it well, and took, also and also they didn't ruin Hellboy. They just made a bad Hellboy movie. It, it took writers. It took directors. It took editors. It took producers. A whole host of people work together to yes. polish this little turd and put it in front of you. Yeah. Well, Did you know you can polish a turd? Well, yeah. If, it, if it's dry enough, I would imagine. Mythbusters taught me that. Yeah. Yeah, I Plus, did uh, see that Mythbusters episode. That's probably the most scatological Mythbusters episode. Aside from uh, Turd Polishing 101, Russ, what have you been watching? Boys, I think I fucked up. Hmm. You know when you can feel something imprint on your mind? And it's like, oh dear, I'm probably not going to forget this, am I? It's like when you opened up like Goatsy for the first time back in 2000 <laughs> or, you know, you saw one of those videos of people getting blown up or stabbed or something. It's like, oh, that's on my mind now. Yeah. Well, I started reading a book. Always a mistake. And this book is called Tender is the Flesh. Oh boy. And uh, this book is about a, a dystopian nice, future. Movie where uh, the only meat that isn't fatal to humans is human meat. Nice. Mm. And it wouldn't be half so bad if that's where it stopped, but... Yeah, I mean, you could just eat plants for your whole life. No, 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 you need the proteins. Also, you need meat. And it wouldn't be half so bad if they didn't go very into detail about the economics of it (laughs) and the production and how this remains viable and you know breeding and oh, man. herds and flocks and damn it's uh i think i fucked up <laughs> oh oh and, russ and, and wants so to do a genocide again, again. <laughs> what fry that is and so what was that book called again that is tinder is the flesh so it certainly can be at least the babies Oh, I I very much recommend it, but I like feeling terrible ways. Okay, well, if if you're one of our listeners and you also like feeling terrible, 
Russ has got a book for you. Well, I've got a recommendation that won't make you simultaneously crap your pants and throw up. Um, it's, uh, it's a very old one, but I'm just getting on this train, so I'm sure a lot of people have already know about it. But I have been reading Terry Pratchett's books, books specifically the ones about the watch, the city yeah. watch. Yeah. And I am thoroughly enjoying the character of Sam Vimes and his hilarious family. And, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. Uh, this is not sponsored, but they do have the audiobooks on Audible. So if you got some free credits, you know, maybe use them up. Hey, James, watch this. Brought to you by Audible. It's not. It, we're not. It's not sponsored by Audible. I'm just saying that's where I happen to listen to it. Enter code James sucks at checkout for 20 <laughs> <laughs> Is that the code we would use? That's not very nice. <laughs> what code do you want to use? Hey James, watch this. Russ's what, what foreskin. I mean, God. I think I think we should go with uh, HJWT. Yeah, yeah. That's short. That lands. That sucks. That's all oh, right. Well, does the code hey, have I to be revolting, hey, Russ, or are you just on that kick with that book right now? James likes to watch. There we go. Perfect. Do you? Does it have to be weird? Does it have? It to has be weird? to be weird. That's that's, that's, okay. that's memorable. Well, James likes to watch is better than the other things you said. I guess so. <laughs> fine. If we ever get that sponsorship, we'll try to convince them that that is the code we want to use, and then they can reject several codes until we finally give them HJWT. Okay, it's Did time you to ever see like Jesus's foreskin. What? Oh, you mean? Oh, you mean the relic in the, relic, the Vatican yeah. or whatever? I yeah. Can't um, say I have been to the Vatican lately. I am not a scientist, but I have trouble believing that that is Jesus's foreskin. Man. The Catholic Church did not come into existence until many, many years. And I and no, Peter does not count as the first pope. Don't give me that bullshit, you guys. I'm not. Peter, Peter was the first pope. There, he, he, knew, he knew Jesus before he died. God damn it, Fry. <laughs> anyway, but no, it's it's. I just have a lot of doubts about that. You know what I mean? Like I can't Our, prove it's not, but they can't prove it is. So at some point in our life, someone is going to clone a person using that DNA, right? That would be in awesome. that foreskin. DNA does not last that long. I don't know how well, old Well, they'll, they'll fill in is. the holes with frog DNA. That's what you'll <laughs> <laughs> This person can spontaneously change sex from female Welcome to male. to Jurassic Church. <laughs> and here is Jesus. And you see him eating a goat that was tied to... As you can see, he likes animals. He's 50 feet tall. No, no, no. It totally works. It's like, as you can see, he loves animal sacrifices. And he's just ripping a goat's head off with his bare hands like. (laughs) And then they try to. And then in the movie, they try to kill him. But of course, he comes back. But it's not until three days later and they've gotten away. So in the movie, they have to find a way to crucify this 50 foot tall man. (laughs) No, but that's the only way to kill him. (laughs) That wouldn't work either. He comes back. Oh, oh, that's rail guns. (laughs) (laughs) yeah that sucks okay Uh, (laughs) i think it's time to spin the wheel drama a drama drama should we do a drama what or should we just leave it open An oh. Indep- oh God, okay. no! An independent drama. drama. Uh, that's, Fuck, uh... an independent drama. Oh my! If you show, actually, wait, no. Some of these are really short. This might be good. Oh. I'm, I'm going to allow you to include student film in this because oh, they're God. short. <laughs> an independent drama sounds awful. If you can find one that, if is we can like... find a six-hour student film, let's do it. <laughs> 
it's just all shots of like a cow's udder and a naked lady in a weird bedroom filled with sheets. <laughs> a balloon deflating in real time. Yeah. <laughs> While royalty-free you know, music plays in the background. You know, that real subtle kind of metaphor. Yeah. It's the good stuff. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Hey James Watch This. Have a great day, and don't drink bleach. <laughs>